0: Wrath of the Almighty is what I put as a title. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation means apocalypse or unveiling. It is the unveiling of Jesus. The Bible declares in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in the first coming of Jesus Christ as he came to this earth, we saw Jesus as a suffering lamb that would take away the sins of the world. He came as a servant. Jesus is coming back, and Jesus is coming back as a conquering king. And so it's, uh, he's the same, but that aspect of him was uh, veiled, if you will, until this second coming and what he's going to do. Now, as we've been going through the book of Revelation, just to catch you up, We find ourselves smack dab in the middle of what's called the tribulation period. The tribulation period is a seven-year period where for the first three and a half years, the Antichrist will come in, set himself up, and bring this peace to the world. He's going to unite Palestinian and uh, Israel some way, somehow. Jew and uh, Palestinians will be just, there will be a false peace treaty of sorts, And um, they'll buy into it hook, line, and sinker. Both Jews and Muslims are praying today as it is for their Messiah, for their, uh, the Imam or the, um, what are the Jews? Yeah, the Messiah, I guess, is what uh, Judaism would call them. Uh, And there's this this individual that's going to come on the scene, the human being that is going to, uh, again, just, they're going to think it's him, and he will be none other than the Antichrist. So with a false peace, he will bring this. Judgment will begin to be poured out. We saw the seven seals poured out. We saw the seven trumpets, and that that was the first three and a half years. In chapter 14 in the book of Revelation, we find ourselves right in the middle, but it's John is elevated into heaven, and he's given this vision, and that's what we're going to be looking at. Let me give you one scripture before we look at it. It's found in Romans chapter 1. And this talks about God's judgment that is coming and that is even being experienced now by some who are pushing away God. And this is Romans chapter 1 by way of introduction, starting at verse 18. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The Bible declares that God's wrath is being poured out upon people who are suppressing the truth. Somehow, intuitively, we know that there's a God. Just God has created that within us through the conscience. And so our conscience screams creator. Well, the world around us as well, and creation screams creator. And so we have experienced in the last hundred years or so, at least since the late 1800s, um, just this almost new phenomenon in world history where people are saying there is no God. It's kind of silly because, again, we know intuitively inside, deep, deep down inside, That there is a God And so what they've done is People have pushed down or suppressed The truth And that's what God's judgment or his wrath Is going to be poured out on Upon people who are suppressing the truth As you and I Or anyone in the world We push down or suppress the truth The Bible declares again in Romans 1.18 That it leaks out in two ways It it manifests itself In two ways Unrighteousness Sin against man, against one another, and ungodliness, sin against God. And so that's what God's wrath is going to be poured out upon. So let's go ahead and take a look at it. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And so John, again, is taken into heaven. He's in heaven, and he gets this vision. And again, time-wise, if you were reading and studying through the book of Revelation, you would see that we're smack dab in the middle of the tribulation period. Three and a half years have passed. John is taken up. This parenthetical, again, chapter is given to us. And we have three and a half years that are yet future still in this tribulation period. And he sees a lamb on Mount Zion, and with him... 144,000 with the seal of their father on their head. Now, we saw in chapter 7, uh, verses 3 and 4, let me read you that. Revelation chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel, were sealed. And then we see 12,000 from each one of the 12 tribes equals 144,000. Now, interesting studying this week, as I got to study this chapter, and there are two camps. One camp says that they're the same 144,000 from chapter 7, which would make them Jews because they're from each of the tribes. The other camp says that they're from the Gentile and they're two different 144,000. Whatever your persuasion is, whatever your guess is, whatever you want to believe, I I don't know if it much matters. I think there's neat similarities. There's two things that are similar and then there's other things that aren't mentioned in chapter 7 of the 144,000. But regardless, if it is the same, then it's kind of neat that God had protection or a seal on his 144, and then we see them in the middle after all of that judgment that Antichrist is pouring out on the world, we see they were all saved. They were all kept. God was able to secure them. So I think that's pretty neat. If they're different, then maybe some of you and some amongst this group are part of this 144,000 that are sealed. I hope not, because then you're going to go through the tribulation. Okay, maybe you're not. But nonetheless it 's a neat group because they 're very godly and they 're surrendered to the Lord, and they give us absolutely an example of what it is to be a sold out individual for the Lord. Now, the Bible says that we are sealed. Let me read you two sets of scriptures in Ephesians chapter one verses thirteen and fourteen if you 're taking notes. Uh, the Bible says in ephesians 1, 13, in him you also trusted." After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of his glory. So Ephesians is telling us that we as Christians are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The pledge So your spirit should be bearing witness with God's spirit that you are a child of God. And if that isn't taking place, then you need to cry out and call out upon the Lord to make sure that that does take place. That deep, deep, deep within you, if there's one thing in the world that's true, then it's true that you belong to God. Make sure that that is sure within your heart of hearts. God will give you that pledge that guarantee the Holy Spirit screaming within you another way that I see this seal and that was kind of a positional way the pledge the Holy Spirit is the seal upon us as Christians but there's a second way Deuteronomy chapter 6 every morning Jews will pray this prayer but I think it's for us let me read it to you it's called the great Shema because of the first word in that prayer hero Israel um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the second way or the practical way that I believe that we need to have God's name on our forehead is we need to have the word of God ever before us. We need to be living the word. It needs to be a reality in our lives. Not something that we kind of blow off the Every Sunday, take it off the dash of your back of your car. <laughs> get the Bible. Got to get the Bible out. All right, here we go. No, it should be something that we're spending time in the love letter, something that we're kind of getting into. And, and if you don't know how to do that, start in the Gospel of John. Go to the 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John. Go to something. Read the Psalms for comfort. Read the Proverbs for wisdom. Get into the Word. Let it speak to you. Let it guide you. Let it direct your life. Don't just. <laughs> Sunday, just bring it out. All right. God forbid you skip a week or two, huh? Then you got really, whoa, we got to get the dust or pledge. Okay, so get the word out. Spend time with it. Put it at the forefront of your mind. Let it be on your wrist and the things that you touch is based on the word of God. Teach it diligently to your children on the doorpost of your house. Write his word. And all that means is that we're living it. It's a reality in our lives. That's the practical, practical application of this being sealed with the Father for us is that we would be people of the word, that we would obey the scriptures, that we would recognize it's our umbilical cord, it's our lifeline, and it's, it's life abundant. That abundant life that Jesus promises in John 10.10 10 is in direct proportion to one word, your obedience. I want to live abundant life then obey what you know. Obey what you know to be true in the word and experience and live out abundant life. There should never be in the life of a believer things that you are currently practicing that you know go against God and his word. It doesn't work. It doesn't mix. That's a miserable Christian. Okay? Enough Jesus to be sinful, but not enough to be joyful? I mean, no. No. We want all of the Lord, and we want this seal upon our lives. Moving on now, notice, I want you to notice five things of these 144,000, verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven like voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures, and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So five things that stand out in this group of 144,000 that I believe we can apply if we want to live and navigate through this world, five things that we want to notice. One thing, first, I mean, first thing is they were not defiled with women for they are virgins. Number two, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. Number three, they're redeemed from among men. Number four, no deceit or in the original, I think in the King James it says no guile. And uh, it can also be translated as falsehood. No lies are coming out of their mouths. And then number six, they are without fault. So number one, not defiled with women for their virgins. This isn't speaking only to those who have never had relations with uh, you know women. This is... Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you're given the godly attributes for a leader within the church. And the, the, the little word right after being blameless that uh, Paul uses in 1, Corinthians, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is husband of one wife. And that can be translated as a one-woman man or a one-man woman. That you recognize that there's one woman, one man on this earth for you and that you've not been defiled with others who... Aren't yours, aren't the one that God gave to you. And so there's an act, a practical application in that for us. Purity with God is a big deal. Uh, if you want, you can just make a left with me to 1 John chapter 2. Let me read you a few verses, or you can just write it down. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 28. Again, purity is a big deal to God, and your eschatology is will determine how you live on this earth eschatology is just your belief of the uh, end times study of the end times so this is 1st John chapter 2 starting at verse 28 it says and now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming if you know that he is righteous you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him Purity is a big deal to God. And God wants to use individuals that are separated to him, pure for the cause of Christ. God can use anybody he wants, and he does acquiesce to use any one of us. But God is seeking that we would be separated from the world, separated to him in this world. And so I want to be used by God, you say? Then walk in holiness, walk in purity. Make sure that your eyes are given over to the Lord. Again, your hands are surrendered unto him and to his work. And God will use you in a mighty way. So number one, defiled. uh, Not defiled with women. They are virgins. That is a husband of one wife. Walking in purity. Number two was follow the lamb wherever he goes. I've been asked, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stuck in life and I'm not sure where to go. What do I do? What's my first step? What am I supposed to do? I want some direction. You know, I, I've, I've heard you say that, you know, God speaks to you, that he guides you, that he leads you along the way. Where do I start? What's the starting point? I think the place to always come back to every single one of us is Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. There is so much in life that is vying for our attention. There are so many things that we can have as a list of priorities. And so every once in a while, our lives get out of focus. And and when that happens, you as a Christian, you should feel, I don't know, something's wrong here. I don't know what it is. Something just seems like I'm kind of not lined up, centered, focused. I don't know what it is. If you ever feel like that, start at the top. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And let everything else take its rightful place Yeah, but I might lose relationships Good, maybe you didn't need them to begin with you know, Yeah, but I might, something at work God will take care of you All these things will be added unto you okay? Seek first the kingdom Place the kingdom as your highest priority put, put God as first and foremost And then let everything else fall in line And you'll be okay so number two, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. Okay, it's, it's, it's shameful. I was going to say it's blasphemous, but I don't know if it's quite blasphemous. It's at least shameful to ask God to lead us. Lord, I pray that you lead me, that you go before me. In Jesus' name, amen. And then we close the prayer and then we wait for, for Jesus to, to go. All right, I just want to see where you're going, Jesus, because I'm not sure if I want to walk that way. Oh, you're going that way? No, forget it. I changed my mind. No. We ask God to lead us to go before us. We gotta follow in his footsteps. We gotta be willing to go down the path. He's got a much better plan than we got, guys, right? So we gotta let God lead us. And when we pray that He lead us, we gotta follow that lead. And it's it's neat, it's crazy sometimes. It's like, whoa, how'd I get here? It's a crazy place. I don't know, I got it. but I was following you, Jesus, so I'm good. Because when we when we when we're in the thick of it, when we're in the midst of it. We better know that we've been following the Lord. Lord, if you've led me here, I'm kind of, kind of tripping, but all right, you led me here. And there's a, there's a settledness in your heart when you know God's leading, God's guiding yep, each step of the way and I'm, I'm just following, following after his footsteps. So number two was follow the lamb wherever he goes. We seek first the kingdom, kingdom of God. Number three was redeemed from among men. Eh? Guys, almost need to start there. We need to be saved. We need to be born again. We need to make sure that we have Jesus Christ living, dwelling within our hearts. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So not everybody in the world is a child of God. Everybody in the world is created in the image of God. But not everybody is a child of God. Only to those who receive Jesus Christ into their lives. You have to ask him. You have to personally invite him. In Romans chapter 10, the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a mouth, confession is made and whatever else it says. It's Romans chapter 10. It's in there. Trust me. And then number four, no deceit, no guile, no falsehood. Um, there's a neat scripture in Psalm 51, verse 6. It says, behold, you desire truth. In the inward parts and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. What would your life be like if you didn't utter lies? Well, Johnny, what are you saying? I, 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 oh, you know something I don't? Yeah. Yeah. We live in a fallen world. Yeah. What would your life be like if, if you didn't lie? Hold back the truth. God wants us to be people of truth. That in the hidden, in the inward, in the deep parts, because we get sophisticated with our lies. I don't know if you know it, but, but you know, we, we have ways. Stretch the truth or to, you know, little white lies we call them. Yeah, in God's eyes. No white lies. They're all lies. They're just all under the, you know, pit of hell. Lies. I find it interesting that in the, last, uh, in the last chapters of the book of Revelation, there are two lists given of people who will not be in heaven. Both of those lists include people who lie. Habitual liars. In the book of Proverbs, there's a section, six things the Lord hates. Wait, seven are an abomination. Twice mentioned liars. And, and it's hard because we live in a relativistic culture. And we, we, we put spin on things. But begin to think about that in your own personal life. You want to know the single attribute for somebody who's mature? Speaking the truth in love. God is calling us as his children. Because in this world, people aren't doing it. Well, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Well, if I said that, something might happen. I remember Warren Wearsby wrote a book, and in his book, he put the definition of faith, which was my favorite working definition of faith. Faith is obedience to God's word, regardless of consequences or circumstances. No matter what may happen, you know what? I'm just going to tell the truth. No matter what may potentially happen, I'm tell the truth. There's a way to do that that is tasteful. There's a way that that you can do that that can glorify the Lord. But you know what? Again, you let the chips fall where they may. The ability to speak the truth in love is something that God desires out of his children that we would be so bold in Christ to be able to do that, speaking the truth in love. So no deceit, no guile, no falsehood was found in their mouth. And then five, they are without fault. How do you do that? Only one way, to be under the blood, to let Jesus take that away from us. In Jude chapter 1 verse 24, the Bible says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So five things that these guys have that we can learn from. Moving on now, verse 6 in Revelation chapter 14. We're going to go much faster through this period. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Because of a scripture in Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. Because of that verse, many thought that they had to get the gospel out to the ends of the world. But we see right here in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, God's going to send an angel that is going to fly in the middle of the tribulation. And that angel is going to share to every nation, tongue, tribe the gospel. And it says, what's it call it? The everlasting gospel. Is the everlasting gospel any different than any other gospel that we've heard of? Gospel means evangelion, right? Evangelio, the good news of the gospel. Good news is the fact that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. Paul would say in Galatians, if I or an angel come and preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed, anathema. And again, I say to you, let him be accursed, twice, twice. He curses anybody who would come with a different gospel, another gospel. This gospel that the angel is proclaiming is the gospel. The one that was delivered, as it says in Jude, once for all to the saints. So it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Sharing And so you have all of this chaos that is taking place in the middle of the tribulation. The Antichrist is going to raise himself up in the temple. He's going to want to be worshipped. Everyone at that point is going to turn on him. You're going to have nations coming to this battle that we're going to read about Read about in the end of this chapter, the War of Armageddon, the, the Valley of Megiddo, Megiddo, whatever it's called. And just all of this chaos is going on, and yet God is faithful to get his word out in the midst of all of that so nobody will be without excuse who is alive during this time verse 7 saying with a loud voice fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and springs of water and another angel followed saying Babylon is fallen is fallen that great city because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication Interesting, Babylon is just that false world system that is run by the God of this world, Satan, and we need to be careful as we navigate through this world not to be caught up in these systems. God hates religion. God hates politics. God hates commerce. And we're going to see them judged in Revelation chapter 17 and 18. 18 and 19, 17, it's it's in there. It's in there. We're going to see Babylon judged and so be careful that we're not building our lives on those what look like foundations. They're not. You need to be very careful how, how, how strongly we grip the things of this world. Again, seeking first the kingdom of God and letting him add. <clears throat> Verse 9 says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast... And his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So, very important that we understand again, getting a credit card with 666 is not receiving the number of the beast. Getting a license plate with 666 is not, oh my gosh, did I accept the number of the beast? No, 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 no. It's clear. It's clear right here. This angel is saying, do not receive. It's about to go down. It's about to take place. If you give into this system, if you give into what's going on right now, if you make a choice against God... And for this system in receiving this ability to buy and sell, you are receiving the number of the beast and nothing can be done for you at that point once you've received that. So again, we get into kind of worrying unnecessarily, I think, at times. But it's clear here. Verse 11, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Hell is not annihilation. Hell is not temporary. Hell is not a second chance. And so it's uncomfortable to read this. It's uncomfortable to teach it. But this is what the Bible says. And in Revelation 22, it says, whoever adds to my book, I will add to him the plagues that are within this book. If anyone takes away from this book, then I will take away from his share in the kingdom. So we have to be very careful that we let God's work say say what it says and let the chips again even there fall where they may. Verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So when will we get a chance to rest? In heaven. Yeah, but I'm tired right now. I know, I know, I know. In heaven, we'll be able to rest. Amen? Verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, Having on his head a golden crown and on his hand a sharp sickle, and another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to, whom, to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle and on the earth his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle in to the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God and the winepress was trampled outside of the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. And so you have time of the end that John is catapulted into heaven and he's seeing the reaping of the world and how does God move and when does God act? You'll see throughout the scriptures if you study that God acts when his wrath is full. That's when God moves, that's when God acts. And so he is long-suffering, the Bible says. He is patient, not willing that any should perish, but things come to an end with God where it's too bad and he has to intervene. And right here, we're seeing the end of the world. We're seeing, again, the battle of Armageddon where this thing is taking place. Let me read you, as I close, what um, Pastor Chuck Smith wrote in his book, What the World is Coming To. He writes, based on these verses, this describes the valley of Megiddo as filled with blood from the great battle of Armageddon. The world has one great war yet to endure, the war to end all wars. The rebellious nations of man will be as ripe grapes trodden and bursting. The slaughter that will take place is too frightening to imagine. Just be thankful that you're not going to be around. And in awesome Pastor Chuck Way, he always has this ability to turn something horrific around and to show and present the grace of God. If we have received Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. If he dwells within our heart, we thank God that we won't be around to see this horrific time. But at the same time, that should provoke us as Christians to make sure that we're sharing this gospel, this eternal message right the everlasting gospel with our loved ones with our friends and as they go through they're gonna have awesome opportunities with an angel with two witnesses with 144,000 Billy Graham Jewish dudes who are sharing the gospel but it's gonna be an incredible crazy time now I don't know how all of this stuff ties together because it seems that something cataclysmic is going to take place if all of these Christians are taken out of the world, and then it seems like life gets on to kind of normal in a, in a sense, but it's it's crazy at the same time because stuff is still going on. And again, I don't really care. I just don't understand it all. Uh, and the fact that I don't understand it all doesn't mean it's not going to happen the way God says it is. There's just so much. If you read this stuff, it's just, it's just oh, I'm, I'm on brain overload. I just... Try to, Jesus, am I going to be here? No, you're going to be with me. Cool, all right, that's all that matters. So I just try to get the word out. But again, it's there to study. There's plenty of it. Be careful when you're online studying some of this. I was watching a three-hour video on um, Prince Charles is the Antichrist. And I can only get through 20 minutes of it. It was so raunchy, I guess is the word. It was bad. I don't on purpose watch junk like this. I believe that if a true you know, Christian was going to give you their view on the end times, they would do it in a way that is respectful to God. And I was looking at stuff where I'm like, oh, heck no, I don't, I don't watch this junk. What the heck? Click that off. I was like, so I called the brother who told me, yeah, watch this thing, man, I think it's Prince Charles. And i text him, bro, that was whack. I got one word for that video, whack. I could only get through 20 minutes of it, and it's junk. I don't care who the Antichrist is. I care to look for Jesus Christ. That's the one that I'm looking for who's coming. Whoever the Antichrist is, the Antichrist is going to be. So we need to be careful. The Bible says, look up for your redemption draws near when you see all these things taking place. And it is Jesus Christ that we're looking for. And it is Jesus Christ that we're living for. And again, I know it's kind of neat to study it and speculate. Who is it? Who do you think it is? Eh, eh. Whatever. I don't watch that crazy video. But if you want to study, be careful. Be careful with what you're looking online and uh, just look to the word. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you know what you're talking about. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the end. You know the end from the beginning, Lord. You know the middle. And so, Father, I pray that we would be those who would seek first the kingdom of God I pray, Lord, that we would be those who have our priorities in line. And Father, help us. You're so gracious, so loving, Lord. Father, I want to pray for anybody who has circumstances that are just throwing them for a loop. Anybody, Lord, who would be struggling with uh, decisions that need to be made. Father, I pray that you would bring clarity into their life. And I pray, Father, that as well, that they would recognize that you are the very God of our circumstances. Lord, you're fully aware of what's going on. You know the pain that it brings to our hearts. And yet, in the midst of that, Lord, you want to guide us with your loving eye. You want to just get a hold of us in a way, Lord, maybe like never before, that we would be singularly focused, that we would have our eyes on you. And so, Father, I just pray that we would give you access to that place, the predominant place, the first and foremost place, and Father, that as we occupy until you come, that we would be busy about your business. But Lord, that we would know where you are leading us because we are following after what you are calling us to. So thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We ask your blessing, Father, as we continue to just look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and